Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, the Sermon on the Mount conveys what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Jesus has said on the Sermon on the Mount, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. In the Christian life, attitudes are everything. What are our motives for whatever that we do? What does it really mean to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Unfortunately, there are those who make a dichotomy, a separation between having Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord as if you can have him as Savior at one point and not have him as Lord. This is a false dichotomy, as we shall see. If you'll turn with me to Romans 10, verses 8 through 9, we'll see how the Bible portrays the Lordship of Christ and its importance in what we confess. Romans chapter 10, look at verses 8 and 9. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We see here that in our confession of believing in Jesus, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to confess him as Lord. And so therefore, yes, Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is our Lord. But the Bible never makes a distinction between the two as if you can have Jesus as a Savior and not a Lord, or at some later time you have, have him as Lord. That's not how the, the Scripture pictures confession of faith. It says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Look at verse, beginning at verse 25. Now, great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and not been able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, would not first sit down and take counsel whether he has strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give him up, who does not give up all his possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You have to confess Jesus is Lord. Believing in Jesus is receiving Jesus as Lord. There are many people that follow Jesus. He was the miracle worker. There were times Jesus turned and said to others, The reason you follow me, like in John 6, is because you saw signs. Because I fed you. That's why you're following me. He says, An evil generation wants a sign. And here on this occasion, you have others following him, great multitudes. And Jesus, you might think, well, he sort of narrows the field, doesn't he? This is one of the hardest, toughest places in all of Scripture. Jesus turns to all this multitude that follows him, demonstrating he's not out to gather a bunch of people as such. But he says, you want to, be, you want to really follow me? Because he says, you want to be a disciple? Because that's what the word, uh, a disciple means to be fundamentally a follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. So the, the term, the twelve disciples, is only a, a term that's used to the innermost circle, the apostles. But there were other people that followed Jesus. You know, there were 500 that witnessed him. Uh, it was a much broader circle than just the twelve. And there were those who followed him who said they believed him. But Jesus says, let me tell you the demands to be my disciple. You want to be my disciple, my follower? Well, here's what it's going to be. Do you hate everything else but besides me? Now, understand what he's saying. It's a comparative term. He's saying, who do you love the most? Your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters? Who do you love the most? Do you love them more than me? If you do, you're not worthy to be my disciple. See, confessing the lordship of Christ is confessing that you have only one master, and that's Jesus. You have only one person who's calling the shots in your life, and that's Jesus. You, don't, you and I don't have the right to make our own decisions Anytime we want. We have to understand, what does Jesus want us? After all, he's the master. He's the Lord. By the way, the term Lord means one who has absolute authority over his subjects. That's what a Lord is. And 
the subjects are obligated to follow the Lord's demands, whatever the Lord, the Master, says. So Jesus is setting it out quite simply what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's clear cut here. He says, you can't let anything be in place of me. And there it says in verse 33, So therefore no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Now, I've, I've said all this to talk about the lordship of Christ. We have, we have to approach Jesus with open hands. He has everything that we own. We owe him everything. We're under obligation to serve him no matter what. Before I get into the particularities of text, there's one other passage of Scripture we ought to take a look at so that we get an entire picture. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand may be this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he has sworn to your fathers, as it is this day. God provided for his people. In times of great distress. And he says, God says, I've done so that you will never forget what I have done. That you understand everything you have is by my gracious hand. And without me, you would have died of thirst. You'd have been succumbed, succumbed to the fiery serpents. You would still be slaves if it weren't for me. Everything you have is by my gracious hand. Don't forget it. And don't get proud when you become wealthy, whether it's in herds or gold and silver. He says, don't forget me. I'm the one who did it for you. I'm the one who made you wealthy. So don't forget that. I've said all these things about the Lordship of Christ about that attitude of wealth, because our text in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, is dealing with an attitude not to be covetous and break the Tenth Commandment, nor are we to be double-minded, but to be single-minded. 
See, that's what it means. You cannot have two lords. It's impossible, Jesus says. As he will end, he says, either you will love the one or hate the other, but you, can't, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. So, who is your master? What are you valuing? And the way we live our lives determines who really is our master, who really is our Lord. That's why Jesus said what he did in Luke 14, and that's why I read that to you. He's going to find out, do you value me more than anything else or not? Because I'm going to find out. I will find out what, who your Lord is. See, the Lordship of Christ demands that we put nothing, absolutely nothing, before Christ. See, listen, the, 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 world, the, uh, the Scripture tells us that we are pilgrims passing through this world. The Scripture says that our citizenship is in heaven. And everything that we do in this life must be done in light of where we are going. I've often referred to that as maintaining the eternal perspective. See, you have to keep in mind, you're not here for very long. Life is really short. And even if you're young, in age, life is still very short. Because sooner or later, you will be older, and all those years, those 30 or 40 years, just seem to go right on by. I mean, how long ago was it? that we sent her off to college, and now she's a graduate. It just seemed like yesterday. You may think that it was like yesterday. Four years, just boom, just went right on by. Life is short, and even if you're young, you don't know. You could die tomorrow. God could providentially take your life in an accident. Life is short. I mean, the Scripture tells us, that life is, is a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow, James says. It's like a flower, that, a beautiful flower that blossoms. But then, as you know, you take that beautiful flower and you put it on your, uh, your table. It may last for three or four days, maybe five, and then it begins to wilt. And the whole point that God's trying to communicate to us is life is short, life is temporal. Therefore, you have to remember that, and don't be found wanting on the judgment day, and don't have spent your life valuing things that are of no value when you go into eternity. And that's what our text says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. See, laying up and treasuring something. What, what, what is laying up? Or, he says, treasures upon earth. Well, it's, it's treasuring something or putting value in something that is passing. That doesn't have eternal value. That's what he says. Everything that you and everything in this world, things that we gather, is passing. It can rust. It can be destroyed. Somebody can steal it. 
You know, treasures on earth are those things that are destined to perish in this world. And they can easily be taken from us. And even those who have made multitudes of fortunes have only seen, as the scripture says, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. Because like the bird that flies away, Proverbs says, so can your riches just fly away. And that testimony has been lived out multiple times that men have been millionaires only to find within a short period of time, it's all gone. It's all gone. And so our text is an exhortation to us to not be double-minded, not to have split uh, affections, not to have split loyalties. As Jesus will, in this section... One cannot serve God and money. You and I cannot have two lords. And we're going to end up serving one or the other. Now, there is nothing, let's, let's be clear about something. And some have misunderstood the passage. There's nothing wrong with wealth, mind you. After all, God says, I'm going to give you wealth. And he gives some men great wealth. But, of course, with greater responsibility comes greater obligations, right? Greater stewardship. We've got to be stewards of what God gives us. And, therefore, we must value the things that he values. Now, in our verse 19, Jesus says, and and the, the Greek tense is very important. It's an imperative. It's a command. And it's a present tense, meaning it's an ongoing action. So here's what he's saying. He commands us to stop always laying laying up treasures on this earth, which is our tendency to do. That is our proclivities to do. He says stop doing that. Because you have your priorities wrong and you're not thinking ahead. Because there's going to become a time when you're not going to have it. Then what? You know, Jesus said, in terms of material wealth, he says, we have to use it wisely. Now, in laying up, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth that can rot. Now, does that mean... That being wealthy can't be of an advantage to us? No, it doesn't. In fact, let's take a look at a passage which tells us how to use even wealth and if it's given to us. How, we, In fact, how you can have a lot of wealth and yet not be guilty of treasuring things on earth. Now, some might think, well, that's just contradictory. How can you have a lot and still not value it as something on earth? Well, it's how you use what you have. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We have looked at this passage before. Look at verse 17 to verse 19. This is Paul's instruction to Timothy 
tell Timothy, who was the evangelist at Ephesus, he says, now, Timothy, here's what I'm instructing you to say to those in your midst whom God has given much physical wealth. Here's what I want you to tell them. Verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, right here he says, I want you to tell the people who have a lot of money, tell them this. Don't be proud. That's what Deuteronomy, remember like Deuteronomy says, don't think I did it by myself and I did it by my powers. So don't be conceited because you have a lot of money. And tell them not to fix their hope on all that money that they have. Because it can be gone just like that, as we've said. But tell them, he says, but on God, it says, let them fix their hope on God, because God is the one who gives all things. God's the one who richly supplies things to them. Because you see, in, in other words, you need to use that wealth while you have it. As some would say, I guess the farmers make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> you don't know how long you're going to have it. So make good use of that and while you have it. So when you have that vast resources, here's what you're supposed to do. Instruct them to do what? To do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So all those people who have this great physical wealth, tell them you need to find a way to do good works with that vast wealth. And that, that you, you need to tell those who have a lot of money, you need to be generous. And here's something that a lot of people weren't prepared for. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. You know, Paul has just said in 1 Timothy 6, we came into this world with nothing. We're going to take out of this world nothing. You can't take your physical wealth with you. But brethren, you can take with you all the good works you did with that wealth. That is what you can take with you into the future. So when Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth, thinking that that is everything. No, you need to lay up treasures in heaven. So if you have a lot of money, be sure you're using that money for the glory of God and not for yourself. And all those who do good works with that money, then they are laying up treasures in heaven. That will go into eternity 
with them. So the command is to do good works. You know, for most of us, we're not wealthy in terms of, uh, of this life. We, we may not have all those vast resources that some others have. Well, how do we not lay up treasures on earth if we don't have much? Well, here's how you do it. Be faithful with whatever God gives you. Be a steward of whatever God gives you. That's what he expects. Remember the story of the, uh, the talents. He's given some more resources than others, right? But what was he expecting? He was expecting faithfulness with what he gave you. And the Lord was angry with the one who didn't do anything with what was given to him and put it in the ground. And Jesus is upset. He says, at least you could have earned interest if you'd put it in a bank. But he says, well, I've discerned that you are a, 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 a type of master who is very demanding. Well, that was an assumption. Jesus says, I gave you that for a purpose, to use. And there were some who took what was given to them and multiplied it. So the one that was given, the one talent, he says, who, who didn't do anything with it, he says, take that away. And give it to the guy I gave all the most to. He deserves it. He used it. So what does God expect of us? We, uh, in lay, we're not to lay up treasure in this earth. But in laying up treasure in heaven, we use what God has given us. Just be a faithful steward with what he's given you. Just do that. You know, employees, we looked at this, we read this passage earlier in the Sunday school hour, but turn to Colossians 3, or Colossians 4, that is. Colossians 4, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So in laying up treasures, not laying up treasures on earth, but laying up treasures in heaven, be diligent in whatever calling, that's what we were discussing earlier, that God has given to you. Be diligent. And in being diligent, working for the Lord, not men, you're laying up. In doing that, you're laying up treasures in heaven. Because what the Lord is pleased with is the fact you're doing his will. You're honoring him. We'll turn back to our passage in Matthew 6. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's what Jesus is saying. Our hearts are in love with what we treasure. Or what we value the most. So whatever you treasure, whatever you value the most, that's where your heart is. So that's what Jesus is saying now. Is your heart with me, or is it with the things of this world that are destined to rot? Where is it? Where's your allegiance? 
Who's your Lord? And so what, what you and I value the most, that is our treasure. That is our treasure. The things that we put the most significance upon. So in, in that light, you have to ask yourself, well, what is my treasure? Where's my heart? Is it fame? Is it to be popular? Is it to have a lot of people following us for whatever reason? Is it to be wealthy, to have a lot of financial resources so you can have a great time? How about, is it power? A lot of people lust for power. A lot of politicians, it's out for power. Control over other people. Is that what people, is that, is that what they treasure? You remember Chuck Colson, who the Lord, I believe the Lord saved him. Chuck Colson said during the Watergate scandals, he said, you know what? I was so desirous of power. Here's the statement from Colson. I would have even sold my mother if that's what was necessary to get power. That's what Colson said. That is a person who was lusting for power. That's what he valued. That's what he treasured. Control over other people. So what is it? What is it that we're valuing? Things of this world? Or is it eternal things? That's what we always have to ask ourselves. There's a great exhortation given to us in Scripture. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. If you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. All this is telling us is, where are your affections? Now, yeah, we, we've used things. I mean, we've already have seen in the Scriptures that God gives a lot of wealth to some people. But still, you can have a lot of wealth, but you're not setting your affection upon it. And that's what this is saying. Set your affection, set your mind. Let everything that you do be on the things in heaven. The things that are of eternal value. The things that bring the most glory to God. That's where your goal is. That's at least where it should be. That's where it should be. Where our treasure is, that's where our cares and fears are. See, whatever you treasure, you have a tendency to protect, right? You're going to guard it. And you don't want to lose it. And that's why your uh, whatever we treasure, what I said, it pertains to what we care and what we fear. And what are we fearing? That somebody may come and take it. That some thief will break through and steal it. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth, because a thief may come in and take what you value the most. Where our treasure is, there's our hope. Whatever our treasure is, that's where we're putting our trust. So are we putting our hope in the things that we have that we've accumulated? Uh, are we putting our hope, our trust in those things that we have uh, taken a long time? Well, I've worked hard to get a lot of money for retirement. Okay. Good. Is that, where you're, is that what you're trusting? You trusting in that? 
Is that, is that what you're going to uh, take final stock in, that you've got this bank account that's so wonderful that it can take care of you? We'll look at a passage in a minute, how Jesus dealt with that kind of guy. You know, where our treasure is, that's where our hope is, that's what we're trusting. The Bible commands us not to trust in riches. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on this earth. Because that's where you're trusting, you're going to be disappointed. You're not only going to be disappointed in this world, you're surely going to be disappointed in the world to come. Look at uh, Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall, you like this, in his own imagination. Notice that contrast. It's wonderful contrast. The righteous runs into the name of the Lord that is a high tower. His trust is in the Lord. But the rich man's trust is in his great city and, and the high wall in his own imagination. Uh, one of the books that I was assigned might have been a year ago, I forget, the family conferences, talked about Edom. Edom had this belief. They, they had these. Uh, they built their cities in the clefts of the rock and a narrow pass to get to it. And they thought their their city was impregnable because of where it was located. And and God says, "Oh, you think you think that you're that safe? Well, let me just show you what I'm about to do." And they were devastated. He just allowed an army to find its way in and decimate the Edomites. See, the, the high tower, the, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and a, like a high wall in his own imagination. Yeah, you may have a big bank account, but if that's what you're trusting, you may very well be disappointed. And God says, if I find out that you trust that, I'll deal with it. In the Christian life, we can be guilty of similar things. We, we find out we're trusting things of this world. And you know what the Lord does? He loves us enough to say, you know, you love your car a little bit too much. Yeah, I spent all my money on that. It's wonderful. Look at the shine on that. Yeah, and if that's what your treasure says, just wait till tomorrow that I bring a hailstorm. Or I'll let a tornado come through and you just want, uh, one of the cars they see spinning out. That's what I just took care of your, your, your wonderful car. God has ways to teach us not to hope in these things. Turn to Luke 15. Luke. Well, actually Luke um, 12. Luke chapter 12. Verses... 15 to 21. And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very producing, or very productive. 
And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See the contrast there? It fits in very well with our text in Matthew 6. Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth will break, can come and eat it, or it can rust, or a thief can come through and steal it. This man was putting his trust in the vast accumulations of his wealth, and he was sitting back, and I'll put it in modern terms. He says, i got $4 million in the account, and it's growing. And I've found a way to increase it even more so. And I'm going to go down to the Bahamas and have a great time. And God says, I don't think so. Because tomorrow you're going to walk out, and I'm going to kill you with a heart attack. And then, who's going to get you $5 million bank account? It'll be you. You're now in eternity. You laid up treasure on earth. You value this. And notice what Jesus is condemning. Verse 21. So is the man who lays up treasure for who? Who? For himself. For himself. See, that's the contrast between the, the person here and the one in 1 Timothy 6 that we read, that says, Instruct the, those with riches to do, lay up things to come, but to do good with the wealth they have been given. There's the difference. That person in 1 Timothy 6 was not thinking of himself or herself, but was thinking of the glory of God and how to use their wealth for the glory of God as opposed to this guy who could only think about himself. Remember it says he had so much, he'd already had enough barns. What do I do? Well, I'll just build another barn to put it in. Well, why didn't he say, why don't I put a lot of people to work who need some work? And he didn't think that way. No, all he's doing was hoarding things for himself. Don't lay up treasures on earth. That can disappear because God may kill you. Because he says, tonight, I'm going to take your soul, rich man. And so, let's turn back to Matthew 6. And let's understand verses 22 and 23, what that's all about. Where it says, the lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So how are we to understand these verses? Well, Jesus says you either have a healthy eye or you got a bad eye. You got a good eye or you got an evil eye. 
actually Jesus is making a comparison. And here's how you understand the text. The eye is the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. The eye is the heart. See, the eye discovers things. The eye directs us to things. We know where we go by virtue of what we see. So wherever I'm thinking about vision, okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here. My eyes are telling me where to go. My eyes direct me. My eyes determine uh, my actions. So Jesus is saying, the eye is the heart. The heart determines what we do in our actions. So do you have a good heart? A good eye? Or do you have a bad heart? A bad eye? A bad eye. That's what Jesus is saying. And notice too, if you go, if you look at the the, the images of light and darkness in Scripture, they are uh, figurative terms for moral goodness, light, and moral darkness. And that's why in John it says, "In God there God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all." God is the ultimate good. He's the the moral one who's absolute perfect righteousness. And there's no darkness in him at all. So Jesus is saying, if our eye is bad, if your heart is bad, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And if the only light that he says is in you, that's interesting term, if the light is in you that is darkness, you think about that one, I go, I don't get that one. <laughs> if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So if you have a bad heart, your whole, your, everything that you do, he says, then is corrupted. What you think about is corrupted. Your actions are going to be corrupt. So men either have, they either have healthy eyes or they have bad eyes. They either have good hearts or they got bad hearts. So if the heart is inclined to goodness, then the heart, if I may say, the eye is directed to good works. You go look for something to do for the glory of God with your eye. So, I'll put it in modern terms. You get on the Internet, and you go look on the Internet for what you can do good. If God has given you a bunch of resources, you go and say, how can I help? How can I help? And so, a heart that is committed to Christ's Lordship is a heart And, if I may say, an eye that is designed to do good works in the name of Christ. You go look for good things to do. Because you have a good heart. Keep in mind that earlier that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that he referred to our good lights, I mean our good works as what? Remember how he phrased it? Let your light 
So shine before men that they what? May see your good works and glorify your Father. Let your light, let the goodness, let that light that is in you which is good direct you to that good works. And guess what? Men will see it and they'll glorify God because of you is what they'll do. However, if the eye is bad, the heart will be darkened. And remember, the scripture talks about darkened hearts. Jesus referred to the Pharisees as having darkened hearts. Meaning, and and how did they manifest those darkened hearts? By their corrupt actions. By their corrupt attitudes. So that when Jesus healed them on the Sabbath, how dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath, Jesus? You broke the law. Oh, really? I broke the law? I thought the law says compassion and mercy. I didn't break any law. I kept the law. I healed people. You know, the Pharisees, they could could have cared less about the person who was lame and for the first time could walk. Imagine the glory of that. And he was leaping for joy. Hallelujah, I can walk, I can walk. He was running into the temple. I can walk, I can walk. Who healed you? How dare they heal you? This man is a sinner who healed you. Well, I don't know if he's a sinner. All I know is I'm walking. That's why Jesus, he he saw their hearts, the Pharisees, and he says, you're corrupt. You don't care about people. Turn to uh, Matthew 20. Verse 15. You know, one thing here is, if if the heart is evil, if it is covetous, if it is envious, if it is grudging, then the whole body will be dark. And our whole conversations will be darkened, ungodly. Our whole manner of life will be ungodly. Look at Matthew 20. Look at verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? The reason I brought that is, he said, your eye is envious. Remember, Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your actions are bad because your eye is your heart. (laughs) Take a look at uh, Mark 7. Look at verses uh, 12 and following. Well, let's start at verse 18. Mark 7, beginning at verse 18. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the mouth from outside cannot defile him? Because it does does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, uh, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. What did Jesus say in our text? 
If the, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If your heart is evil, it's going to show in your actions as being evil. The eye of the heart is our understanding, our practical judgments, our conscience. If the eye is single-minded, if the heart is single-minded, then it will direct you to proper channels. If the eye is single-minded. Now remember, Jesus is talking about don't be double-minded. Don't have split loyalties. Don't serve money and then try to think you can serve me at the same time. It won't work. And so, here's, I could pray, I could put it like this. The eye directs our aims and our purposes. Jesus, as I said, can't serve two masters, so let's, let's, uh, I can pretend here. There's, there's a master over here and there's a master over here. So, I got my eyes over here. Oh, master, I'll do this. And I go, come over here. Okay, master, I'll do this. No, no, John, come over here. Okay. Do this. No, no, John, come over here. Okay. Come over here. No, no, you gotta do this, this, this. Okay. I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here. Jesus says, now wait a minute. It won't work. You can't serve both of these because they're both demanding all your attention. So you need to make up your mind. Who's the Lord? Money or me? You're going to use everything in your resources that I give you for my glory? You're going to do it for yourself. Which one is it? See, what do we cherish the most? What are we aiming to do with our life? Are we, are we consciously realizing that we're headed to eternity? So you've got to be thinking about that. You really have to be thinking about that. That everything that you and I do has to have one purpose. Glorify Jesus. Minister to the saints for the sake of Jesus. Do something for Jesus. Because that's the only thing that's going to last. Really. It really is the only thing that's going to last. We all have a functional Lord in our lives. We do. Every, every one of us has a Lord. Don't make any bones about it. Every one of us has a Lord. My question is, who's your Lord? Is it what you own, or is it Jesus? What treasures are you laying up? Are they the things of this world, or are they the things that will have lasting value on Judgment Day? Which one is it? In other words, what good things did we do in this life that has eternal value? Let me end. You know one of my favorite characters that I keep telling you about is Selena Hastings. Countess of Huntington. Lived during the time of, the, of Whitfield and others. Let me read to you. She was a woman of immense wealth, but whose heart was with the purposes of God. Here's what one of her biographers wrote about her. Here's what he says. Lady Huntington was a wonderful woman in the age for full with illustrious characters. 
Many displayed more sparkling genius, wit, and talents than she did. Many exhibited feats of heroism which will encircle their names with unrivaled glory. But none mingled so many excellent features in their characters as did the Countess of Huntington. Descended from an ancient and honorable house, endowed with talents and accomplishments which added luster to an illustrious court, allied to a nobleman of great personal merit in the renowned ancestry, and possessed of everything esteemed in this present life. Lady Huntington might have shown in the game fashionable society of her times and secured for herself a niche in the great temple of literature or fashion. But what things were gained to her, she counted lost for Christ. She valued all her exterior advantages only for the influence that enabled her to exert. She gave up the blaze of right for the attractions of poverty and low. She for such a splendid court to teach in the wretched hovel, and deemed it greater honor to be permitted to induce the sinner to bow before Jesus than to attract a crowd of noble flatterers, and ruled them by her charms. She sacrificed all for Christ, devoted herself, her time, property, influence, and talents to the cause of religion, and presented to the world an example of what one pious woman can do to benefit man and glorify God. She renounced the ease and splendor of the noble rank for the service of her Savior. She mingled with the world only that she might be useful in saving souls and exerted all the influence she possessed to secure greater triumph for the gospel. You look at her life, that's exactly what she did. Widowed at the age of 35, but will live to be about 92, gave all her money to support preachers, gave all her money to build seminaries, gave all her money to support colleges in America. She even wanted to send money to help the Indians, the Negroes, any cause for Christ. See why George Whitfield loved her? He wanted to give all his money to help the orphanages. So, and one of, there was someone that visited the countess and her estate, and he was taken back to how meager she was living. Her furnishings were not conducive to the amount of wealth that she owned. And he went away feeling guilty that in his meager way as a tradesman, he had vastly more than the countess had at her estate. She sees she didn't care about the fine furniture and the jewels. She sold the jewels to build chapels. That's what she did. And that's why she's one of my favorite characters. She best exemplifies 1 Timothy 6. Instruct the, the rich in this world to do good works and to lay up treasures for a foundation of the future. I can only imagine when we get to heaven the glories that God has laid up for the Countess of Huntington. Now, you and I may not be as rich as the Countess. It doesn't matter. 
Are you a steward of what he's given you? Is Jesus your Lord? Is that what you treasure? And what are you living your life for, really? Do you have split loyalties? I hope not. You live for Jesus. And you're headed for eternity. And you may be there sooner than you think.